Let's uh, turn our attention now to uh, the Word of God, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. I will be, will be working uh, merely with one verse in Ephesians 2. We'll be working with verse 13. But I'd like to read the context, verses 11 and 12 also, please. So Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Sends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. The Lord our God, we thank you for this precious word and for the hope we have here now. We who were hopeless apart from you. And now, O oh Lord, bless us through your spirit that we may understand it and that our lives will be further transformed by what you've begun in us. Uh, continue a good work in us, O Lord, that we may glorify you and give uh, all the glory to the Lamb of God at your right hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to remind you, uh, the previous two verses, which we've already looked at, uh, Paul has asked us to look back, which uh, is really quite surprising because... He himself says he doesn't look back, but he wants us Gentiles to look back primarily so that we would see that what God has done in our lives and the demonstration of extending his salvation to Gentiles, which uh, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, that this was a clear indication that God has change things. We live in a new era when uh, God's, the knowledge of God is extending out to the whole world. Uh, and these Gentiles can look back and say, this was not of us. This is a work of God. And it's a demonstration and testimony that this is God at work in us. And that He has truly uh, done this work and graciously extended eternal life to Gentiles. Uh, and so you have these things that uh, marked Gentiles. You think about particularly our ancestors at the time of Christ. If you're not a Jew, uh, our ancestors were who knows where, doing who knows what, um, certainly not following the God of all creation, certainly following uh, idols of one sort or another. Uh, and at that time, we were uncircumcised Gentiles, separated from Christ, alienated from citizenship of Israel, uh, strangers from the covenants of promise, no hope without God. Uh, and we were, now we read in verse 13, far off. We were at that time far off. And I don't think this is just geographical. We were at that time far away from God. Uh, and it's an expression of people who have wandered off into their own self-made religion and have not God in the world. This, this idea of uh, 
alienated from citizenship of Israel would really strike home to these Ephesians. Now, if you're born in America, you are an American citizen. Uh, but in the time of Paul, if you're born in the city of Ephesus, you're not automatically a citizen of Ephesus. So you could have people who lived in Ephesus for many generations and they were not necessarily citizens. In fact, we know from the remains uh, dug up by archaeologists at Ephesus that the citizen body uh, comprised about 10% of the population, roughly. So imagine in Corvallis, a city of 60,000 people, imagine there are only 6,000 citizens in Corvallis who had rights to vote. And, and actually, it would include rights to uh, trial, uh, judicial rights. Uh, and if you didn't have those, you really have to rely on um, maybe you have friends in high places who can help you uh, in time of desperate need for trial and justice. <coughs> so this is a very different world. And so this struck home. Uh, Paul is saying, you weren't citizens of Israel. Well, you know, they weren't citizens. Many of these people whom he's talking to weren't citizens of Ephesus or any other city either. They didn't have these rights. Which is why when we get to the end of this uh, chapter, he has these explosive things to say. You now are fellow citizens with the saints in light. Citizenship in the new creation has been extended to you. And you have it now. You are now currently citizens of a new creation. Well, that's really for later on. But he's leading us up to that. Uh, and reminding us where we've been so that the marvelous grace of God lavished on us in Christ Jesus will be so much more striking and magnified uh, in what he has, says later. Well, verse 13 is the first statement of change. Remember where you were, and now in verse 13 we have the very first thing that is said that's changed. And it opens with this expression, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. Now, this word now here is actually expressed in an emphatic form. It's a word that can simply be logical. It can say something like this. Well, that was possible, but the fact is, this is how things are. That's just one use of this term. The fact is... Um, and that's found elsewhere. But here, I don't think that's what's being said. I think it's really a time indicator. But now, uh, Paul is underlining this word now. Uh, and it really is from the context. Look at verse 12. At that time, you were separated from Christ. But now, see, there's a, there's a contrast here. At that time, but now, and you see, brothers and sisters, we live in a different world. We live in a time where this now is the most important thing that changed in the history of the world. The coming of Christ is the very uh, the apex of human history to this point, And the next thing that's going to happen to change everything is when he comes again. But. Him coming in the way he did 
and doing his uh, cross work, uh, his being uh, raised from the dead, his being ascended to the Father's right hand. This is the high point of human history <laughs> up until this point, and it's not going to be surpassed until he comes again. It's it's the magnificent center of everything. Uh, and we don't tend to think of it that way. Even Christians, we need to we need to understand that this development is that uh, magnificent and so important to the history of the whole world. Well, I would simply have us think that we are far off from Israel. It wasn't because of, you know, we're on the other side of the world here. And we're talking about Jesus Christ. This is, this is part of the change. Uh, think about what was happening in America 2,000 years ago. Who knows what people were thinking there. They weren't thinking about Christ uh, as well as many people in other parts of the world. They just were not uh, affected by it. But things have changed. And so this is why, you, why Paul emphasizes, but now, now things are different. But now, uh, and then he says something in general, but now in Christ Jesus. So in general... It's in Christ Jesus. But what that signifies, it's affecting people who are believers in Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, the only way to, for that to be true of you is by faith in him. Uh, this, is, this comes clear earlier in chapter 1 when he talked about verse 13. Uh, he talked about in him, notice in him, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. So this is, this is what the, how the change takes effect in individuals, is by faith in him. Uh, and then we saw that in chapter 2, verse 8, that this is a work from God. It's not something that we devise or something that we earn, but it's from God as a gift. Uh, this is what he has done for us. Uh, and then uh, later on in our verse, verse 13, he's going to talk about the blood of Christ. Uh, this is also talking about Christ as our mediator. He's the one who's the substitutionary mediator. This is critical to understanding the gospel. But let's, before we get to that, let's talk about this business of being far off. First of all, God is never far off from anybody. He fills the heavens and the earth. Uh, Paul has said this to uh, his uh, pagan audience uh, in an earlier uh, occasion in Acts 17 when he visited the uh, Athenians on Mount Areopagus. Uh, and he had told them that God is not far off. Indeed, in him we live and move. In him we live and move and have our being. Uh, he is not far off from any of us. Uh, and then listen to this from Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. So Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? <laughs> 
What? You're going to hide in the closet? <laughs> uh, behold, I am there. Okay, let's, let's get in a submersible and hide in the heart of the sea. I'm there too. Get on a rocket ship and go to the moon. Behold, there I am. He's, he's not constrained by space. He fills the heavens and the earth. He's not far off from any of us. But we were far off from him. You see, it's, it's our sins had separated us from our God. We had been far away from him without God in the world. We were not followers of the living God and were far off. And that means we had no hope and no peace, which is what Paul had just told us earlier. But now, now everything changes, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off. Notice that implication of once. Formerly. That's the old life. That's the old time. You who were far off way back when, that's over with. You were once far off. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. These aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise, people who did not have God in the world, are now near. People who were far off, separated by sin and unbelief and paganism and all sorts of hatred of God, have been brought near. This word brought is interesting here, and I don't really know what to do with it. Um, I think it's true, but the word really means something like to come near, uh, to move or become near. Uh, let me give you an example where this word also appears here with the word near. John chapter 6, verse 19. Uh, the disciples are on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is walking on the water. And it says, Jesus came close to the boat. And it's the same expression as here. You have come close. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't think this is a process. I think it's, I think saying we were brought near is fine. Uh, but it's, but, but you have to understand that this is something that's true of us now. It's not being brought near. We are near. He has made us to be near. We are close to Him now. We are His folk. We have been included, so we are now near. This is very similar to what Hebrews, the Epistle to the Hebrews says in chapter 12, in a pretty famous passage, uh, when he says, you have not come near to a mountain that can be touched, but you have arrived at the heavenly Mount Zion. You are there at the foot of that mountain. And that's really what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 as well. You have, you have approached and are now near. You are here. And here's why. It's in the blood of Christ. That's what brings you near. Because that's what he says. Look at that. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
It's not some journey that you made. You had this spiritual pilgrimage and kind of gutted out enough to where you finally arrived at the foot of the heavenly mountain and God said, well, good, good uh, persevering race. You are finally have arrived and I'm happy you made it. A little surprised, but I'm happy you made it. <laughs> this isn't how it works in, in the Gospel of Christ. It's you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's the one who has brought us near. He is the one who has removed the separation. And he's going to get into that in the next few verses. So this, this awaits us to talk about how this all works. But I, but here's the one thing to remember. The blood of Christ is effective. It has accomplished its good purpose. He has brought us into the presence of God. If you want to see this, it's demonstrated to you in a picture form in Exodus 28. And the high priest, Aaron, was to be equipped every time he went to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement with his special garments, and that included a breastplate with 12 stones on it, representing the 12 tribes. And it actually says uh, in that text of Exodus 28 that these stones are to be over his heart, and he will... uh, Be before the Lord continually. He will bring you into the presence of the Lord uh, with His, uh, these, with your name on His heart. The high priest enters the presence of God and you go with Him. That's this picture of this Old Testament type of the high priest. And so you've been brought near in the blood of Christ, the high priest. He has brought you into the presence of God, and you are now near. Uh, This is special. Coming near to God is the main thing that that, uh, defines us. Now, I have 26 passages to read to you. (laughs) I will have mercy on you. (laughs) If you want this document, I can give it to you. But I will just summarize this very briefly. First of all, coming near to God in the Old Testament is what priests do. Sometimes they're actually called that. The priests who draw near to me. So if you want to know what it is about being a priest that makes them so special and defines them, what defines the ministry of a priest? They draw near to God. That's, that's what defines them. That's their special uh, privilege and how you know uh, the office of priests. They're the ones who draw near. In contrast to worshiping from a distance, the priests draw near. Moses was, said, was told in Exodus 24, Moses alone shall come near to me. The rest of the people you'll worship from a distance. Uh, and uh, this, this is picked up in Leviticus. People who have a blemish, they cannot serve as priests because they can't come near to God. Uh, uh, and then in Ezekiel, you have a new temple being portrayed there. 
and you will have a new priesthood drawing near to God. And people will enter my sanctuary. They had been far from me, but now they will come near uh, and to worship me. So this is a priesthood's special role is to come near to God. But the priests, their whole purpose is to bring the people of God near. See, they don't act for themselves alone. They act on behalf of the people of God to bring them near to God. Um, and so in uh, Jeremiah 31, or Jeremiah 30, you have this promise that God will uh, raise up a prince who will draw near. He will approach and then they will be my people and I will be their God. This is the new covenant promise. Uh, and God being our God and we His people means we have close fellowship with Him. We can draw near to Him. Uh, there are many other places. James 4, 7, a passage you may be very familiar with. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Uh, but Paul is really talking about the fact that we have drawn near. Well, I say all this because there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven passages in the book of Hebrews that talk about drawing near to God. This is what defines the people of God. We're the people who draw near to worship. And so let me just read one of these passages. This is Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what our Savior has provided for us. Being near to God is our new vocation and our new privilege. It's a vocation. We are worshipers of God. I would remind you that the woman at the well in John 4, Jesus said, God is seeking worshipers like this who worship God in spirit and in truth. He's seeking us to be his worshipers. And that means to draw near to him. And drawing near, you see, is not somehow this great, Difficult work. It's really captured in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, chapter 1. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, sounds like work, but then the second half, and to enjoy Him forever. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, you have been called to enjoy God. To come near to Him. And you've been brought near in the blood of Christ. That's what our, that's what Paul uh, has shown us in the transition that has now taken place in Christ Jesus. Even the Gentiles can draw near. They can enter into the throne of grace, come before the holy God of all creation, and He accepts them as His own. He accepts us as His own. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, these are wonderful truths. Words can hardly measure up to the fabulous truths to glorify you for these things. Except, O oh Lord, we do 
attempt to sing your praise, to glorify you, to live before you as those who have been brought here. We bless your holy name. Grant all of our days we may ponder these wonderful truths. And we who once were far off, now brought near in Christ Jesus, we do thank you this evening in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.